0: Hello and welcome to the Press A podcast. This is our first episode. It is a podcast of two twins, Finn and Fletcher, and uh, we're both 34. We've been playing games for a long time and we decided we would start recording our conversations uh, to share with people. So I am Finn. And I'm Fletcher. And we're going to try to keep this pretty concise. Um, I think our model for this podcast is to be pretty focused and Topic based, relatively short. Maybe we'll do like a history episode some other time, but for now we we'll us just get started. The first thing we want to go over is as like a news subject of the week, is uh like gamer toxicity or the gaming community toxicity and in particular treatment of developers uh, online and their Two instances that happened this week um, that came out in the news. One is for, um, well, the Battlefield 2042 Reddit server has apparently become pretty bad. Such that the director of communications at EA, Andy McNamara, made just a really simple tweet saying, chill out, everybody. He said, uh, back to work today. Check Reddit and Twitter and Battlefield fans are pissed. We didn't do enough updates or communication during the holiday break, guys. People got to rest. We have things in motion, but we have to figure out what is possible. We will address it when we are one hundred percent. And then he said, "Let us get back from the break and get back to work." Love you guys, but these expectations are brutal. The things you want to take time to scope, design, and execute. That, and I guess presumably preceding that, things didn't go over well on Reddit, where the mod team on Reddit like essentially threatened to shut down the sub, which I'm all for. But uh, uh, that's one example of gamers being horrible people instead of just letting developers make their games like and put their work in and care. <laughs> and then similarly, uh, there was a tweet from Tiani Pixel, who's half of the studio that um, developed Unsighted, which is kind of that pixel art top-down um, action game cyberpunk game i played it a little bit i played it on xbox game pass for a little and i really liked it so i hope to play it all eventually soon anyway she made this really like heartfelt tweet saying that all these they're they're trying to accommodate all these quibbles for people who are she's like just i think she phrased it as to make it a less annoying experience for some of you um the tweet's been deleted but um it was it was unfortunate for her for anyone to kind of get so much anger from people when they just made something for you because they wanted to make it because they wanted you to enjoy it. I don't know. I think it's something kind of overall the gaming community, gaming culture needs to address. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I was saying before we started recording
0: that
1: it's like this loud, outspoken minority of people that exist that raise their concerns or complain unnecessarily about aspects or features or lack of features or are things not updating fast enough probably the best majority of people are totally fine or don't interact even in any online community whether it be twitter or reddit or any other number of social forums
0: well they have the data but it'll be really interesting to know like what percentage of players i mean first of all how is it the people who are playing like five hours a day are they the ones making the complaints what about the peoples who play the people who play one hour a day or you know, on the weekend for a couple of hours, are they taking time to make these complaints? And then are how many of these people are actually like engaging on Reddit or Twitter? Sometimes I do wonder if it's the vocal minority or even from the develop perspective of the developers, they're the people they hear from. So it's like, they're the people, they're the community speaking back to them. So kind of, they're the ones they have to address, you know, they're not getting like particular feedback from people who are playing more casually and who and who are willing to complain less, who don't mind struggles of a of a brand new game when you can't. No game. Very few games, especially multiplayer games, launch perfect. You really got to wait like three months for the thing to be stable.
1: I mean, I think the best philosophy, I think the best philosophy for a design studio is to just ignore it all, in my opinion. I mean, people are very worried about perception and they're worried about like comments growing and festering and metastasizing and the perfect counter example to that is sean murray with no man's sky right i mean they were just like i mean they just got shit on so hard and like i literally love no man's sky vanilla it's close to my favorite iteration of the game not far out from my favorite iteration of the game is yeah. is is the original release and to this day, <laughs> I just like put so much work into all these updates. And instead of like saying, calm down, people, they just took the brunt of the damage, let people complain. And then they released an update. And then they did it some more. And then they released another update. They released something like six to 12 updates. It's been a lot. It's been a lot of updates. Like, I think it's been six or so major, major updates.
0: Well, I think that's, well, that's one lesson on how to, like, interact with the internet. Don't get involved in flame wars. Don't feed the trolls. Like, that's that's yeah. how you survive on the internet. But that doesn't mean people shouldn't be reasonable in their expectations that, in the case of Battlefield 2042, hundreds of people made this game, and they did it for a paycheck, but they did it because they love to do it, and they did it for you. And I think the community overall just needs to, like, learn how to be more empathetic.
1: Yeah. For sure, though you're always going to have a subset of people who are never, ever going to reach that point. They're always going to be whatever, and you're never going to get around that
0: reality. Right. Although the ecosystem of Reddit definitely um, fosters that sort of behavior.
1: Reddit kind of does. Twitter does. Absolutely does. Twitter absolutely does. And there's a there's a wide gulf between what is like unnecessary complaining and harassment versus like generalized critique or specific critique that's like fair and valid. Like and certainly 2042 launched with a egregious amount of issues. Right. And people were very, very, very upset about the fact that the game barely functioned. And so that's totally in their right when they're spending seventy five dollars on a video game for it to not even work. Like that's that's a problem. But of course they needed to get it out before Christmas. So because they had to get it out before Christmas, it was going to come out with problems, and there's nothing they could do about it. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some heavy medium where you're responding to the community, but you're not letting it affect you. I thought Andy McNamara's response was very wise. and um,
0: It was level, level-headed. He actually ended up deleting it and said, yeah, people didn't understand it, so I'm deleting it.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, people are ridiculous. Huh. Anyway, that's all I really want to say about that. Let's move on.
0: Next thing we want to talk about, sort of our, we're going to kind of structure this podcast as one news thing. Um, it's our original, our, our initial concept, one sort of feature discussion, and then finally our discussion about specific games. In this case, we're going to talk about one game each. So sort of for our feature discussion today, we're going to talk about the platform philosophies of each of the platform holders, being Xbox, Sony, and, or, you know, Microsoft, Sony and Nintendo, and um, how we see, if we want to, like, sum up their um, marketing philosophies and their platform philosophies, how they're different, I think it's really interesting to think about, because I think all three of them have gone in really different directions. Um, And I think there's validity to all of them. I love all all three, but it's interesting to consider. So do you want to talk about any one of these in particular, Fletcher? I kind of feel like I want to talk about Xbox.
1: Um, Yeah, you can have Xbox, and I'll talk about Sony and Nintendo, or we'll share Nintendo. Yeah, that's fine.
0: You definitely talk about PlayStation. Okay. So, I've never owned an Xbox. I had Xbox Game Pass for a few months. I have an Xbox controller. I use it to play Xbox games. I use it to play Steam games that have controller support. So, Phil Spencer has, I mean, I think is the greatest thing to happen to gaming since, like, Satoru Iwata. He has completely like redefined what gaming what a gaming platform can be because it's not even about owning an Xbox anymore. It's about being in the Xbox ecosystem. Because now you just play Xbox. You play Xbox on PC. You play Xbox on your Xbox console. You play Xbox cloud gaming on whatever device you own. Uh, on your phone or your computer or your xbox you can play you can play cloud gaming on your xbox the way i like to describe it is he's kind of has this egalitarian approach where his goal is to bring games to everyone everywhere and i think he's succeeding i mean people are obsessed with Xbox game pass i mean they're 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 kind of insane about it but it is testament to their philosophy being um open in their outreach to people they don't they, they want to open up xbox and video games to everybody they're they're not trying to create like this closed community anymore and i love it i think it's great i mean there's in like five years there'll be not even that long in two years there'll be nobody who doesn't play xbox because we have computers we have cloud gaming and you have the xbox consoles they call them series s series x because the Xbox consoles are sort of like ancillary now to what an Xbox game is. Think about how many they just launched. What, like two months ago, they launched another, what was it, 74 backwards compatible games for Xbox, Xbox 360 and Xbox original to play your old discs. You know, it doesn't matter if you own an Xbox anymore. You just you play Xbox however you want to play or with whatever you have. I think it's awesome. It's great. And I love that it's kind of open up to everyone. And we're getting to this era where like you don't belong to one community, you're not like on one side in these consoles wars anymore. just like enjoy what you want to play with like the devices you have and the way and the time you want to play it.:
1: Yeah, I think the console wars have definitely subsided to a very, very large degree from when they were in their height. I think Microsoft was obviously had a major advantage uh, where their software and their hardware was identical. Xbox is basically a glorified PC gaming machine. But Microsoft was like, cool, how can we take advantage of the fact that tons of people have a computer inside of their house, which is basically just an Xbox to different varying hardware degrees. And so they they did a great job. I'm sure they had a major strategic plan that they followed and created the ecosystem that now exists. Where everyone has an Xbox, quote unquote, in their home as opposed to like a PC or a gaming PC, it's like get on an Xbox game. It was just an obvious, it was just an obvious end conclusion to where the environment existed that Sony and Nintendo did not have an opportunity to do. So Sony and Nintendo had to go their own direction.
0: Well, I mean, Sony, I don't know. Sony is porting tons of first-party titles to PC now, like all of them.
1: Well, Sony's taking advantage of Sony's taking advantage of what exists as well, but it's not in the same position as Microsoft is, not remotely
0: so um but Xbox even you don't even need to use the Xbox app or have Xbox Game Pass or Microsoft Store because their games are available on Steam. You can get Halo Infinite or Forza Horizon 5 on Steam. They're just about like opening it up, and I, I think it's great. So, do you want to talk about Sony?
1: Yeah, I can't imagine Nintendo publishing Mario Party for Steam. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, they would literally print money if they put Mario Party 15 or whatever on Steam and everybody could play it online. It's insane how much money they would make. But they're Nintendo, and they're insular, and...
0: <sighs> it's part of their charm, in a way, as much as they drive you crazy. Yeah,
1: well, it's part of their philosophy as a company. It's... Anyway, we'll talk about 10%. Let's move on to Sony. Um, yeah, Sony's kind of in a weird place right now. I think they're trying to catch up to the fact that they have a PS5 that exists. It's been around now for a year, one one year?
0: Yeah, I think so. One yeah, year. Over a year, a year.
1: Yeah. So I got my PS5 a couple months ago, a few months ago, and that was excellent, and it was awesome. And my PS4 was fine. It was good, but it was also like slowing down a lot, and I was really over it. Uh, but the the software for PS5 is not extraordinary. The 2022 slate, I think we'll talk about that in another episode, is not great for Sony, in my personal gaming opinion. I know there are a lot of games that a lot of people are looking forward to. they are just not a lot of games that I'm necessarily looking forward to. Yeah, there's a lot of good games coming out, like objectively good games, just not games that I'm necessarily interested in, per se, regardless of that fact. Sony differs from Xbox, I think, in a couple of ways, and Nintendo, of course. Actually, although Nintendo and Sony definitely have similarities, for sure. more I think Sony and Nintendo have more similarities than Xbox and Sony.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree.
1: Sony, for sure, is dedicated to more first-party games, more second-party games. Their third-party games are just a given, just because, along with Xbox, they have this massive piece of hardware, so they just know people are going to come to them. But they've been acquiring tons of studios. They're really expanding their software library. Yeah, they've really in- enhanced or, at, the, at a minimum, they've remained stable. Their PS Now and PS Plus investment and environment.
0: I don't think PS Now is profitable, actually.
1: And the rumors that they're merging the two are, makes obvious amount of sense, and I'm sure that's coming very, very, very soon. But no, Sony has always offered a certain quote-unquote gaming experience. For a while, Xbox and Sony were, I mean, almost near identical. The only really thing you could tell between the two is that one had Halo and the other one had, I don't know, Russian and Clank. So they had their software that di- that separated them.
0: Well, that's still the case. To me, that's Sony's strategy. I mean, Microsoft bought a dozen, well, they have literally at least a dozen first par- first-party studios now.
1: Yeah, so I, it just comes to taste. I mean, the type of games they make for both are just different. And Sony is your uh, Dark Souls, Demon Souls world, these JRPGs that exist. Xbox's first-person shooters, and Western titles. So that's also separated them as Sony's Japanese origins, which also makes sense, actually, that Sony or Nintendo are related in that way just because of their Japanese history.
0: True. The way I think about Sony is that their like strategy for selling consoles is like prestige. They're about the prestige format video games. And they will invest whatever it takes to make a game what is to be considered triple A, game of the year, game of choice for this holiday season. That's what Sony's about. They're about making every single first party title they make sell like You know, at least 10 million copies. They've been really successful. You know, like just off the top of my head, God of War, Last of Us 2, what else am I missing? Horizon? Horizon, thank you. People love that. I haven't played it. People love it.
1: Ghost of Tsushima?
0: Oh, Ghost of Tsushima. Oh my gosh, I love that game. Oh, and then Days Gone. They kept on extending their development like an extra year, an extra year, an extra year because they don't want to diminish their brand. They don't want to release a game that is even considered average. You know, a 7, according to the internet, because then it, it tarnishes the Sony brand, the PlayStation brand. It did sell very well in the United Kingdom, though. So anyway, they just kept on putting money into it until I guess they thought it was ready. Um, Ghost of Tsushima, that was probably five years. God of War, five years. You know, it's just these games. Just They just do whatever it takes to make these very expensive, high-quality experiences. That's really different. For Microsoft, not that they don't make good games, also, but Sony's a very closed ecosystem. You can play them on the PlayStation, and if you have PS Now, you can play it on your PC through streaming. But you can't play PS Now on your phone yet. And I guess Sony's finally releasing some first-party titles on on Steam, but I think that's still sort of not their main focus.
1: Okay, so Nintendo. I mean, at this point, is how do we continue printing money? Yeah. Obviously <laughs> I mean, Nintendos, they're so successful, but it's, it's almost outside of my grasp of how that's even possible. They do have a niche corner market on families and children, like that's for sure true, and the fact that the switch is portable is very, very, very valuable to lots and lots of people. There' are countless, countless, countless millions of people around the world who own a Nintendo switch and commute every day, and they play their switch. And they freaking love it. And so, for the people who have that as part of their living situation, there's no competitor. Sony, yeah. there's they they have an open market. It's yeah. you know, it's almost like you know, Steam Deck is coming down the line. I'm very curious to see what happens with the Steam Deck.
0: It won't be as popular as the Switch. I mean, first of all, it costs way more.
1: Well, there's a gazillion reasons why, but you never know. Also, like, I mean, having a portable PC in your pocket is pretty remarkable so it might be incredibly successful
0: you and i both pre-ordered it the moment it went online
1: it may be incredibly successful or it may not it's really hard to say but at least it'd be really fun to watch the competition and to see how nintendo responds
0: so nintendo i like to describe them as strategic and that they're here to make money they invest what is necessary to make a return on their investment been like three mario party titles in the last three years they spend exactly how much that's needed to predict how much how much they're going to make in sales and not anymore (laughs) because they're like we could put a million more dollars into this game but if it doesn't make us more than a million dollars back in sales then they're just not going to do it
1: well i think mario golf is the perfect example for what you're talking about it was fine it was rated fine nintendo's like how can we release a game that's real that's like the rating is this is good this is fine this will work not this is great and it's almost like i would love to see an alternate universe where nintendo like spent an extra year developing all of their video games yeah to just see what kind of payoff ahead. had yeah because who knows maybe if mario golf came out and they're like this is the greatest game since Swiss bread it would have sold triple the copies I mean, Animal Crossing sold a million copies, but that was the zeitgeist. There was a million reasons why Animal Crossing sold a lot, other than the fact that it was just really good. So I feel like that's kind of an outlier, and you can't really compare it to other Nintendo releases.
0: Think about like Mario Kart, which is a very, very, very good game, and always has been since it first launched. Mario Kart 8 is like one of the, if not the best-selling titles every month, since it, like, every month.
1: But yeah, no, I agree. It, it, they they definitely make their games to a minimum. I think there there are like one or two exceptions.
0: Well, it's like they have their they have their prestige line. They have Zelda and Mario and Squids. Yeah, Splatoon, Breath of the Wild two. They that's probably the most expensive game. Breath of the Wild and Breath of the Wild two is like probably the most expensive games they've ever made. So there are certain titles where like they won't they have a bar that they won't go below. But then there are other titles where they just do it good enough. <laughs> and like, you know, and it's just, and they're just about making money. Like the freaking N64 expansion pack. it's Got like, what, a couple dozen ROMs, maybe. And it costs so much money, and they knew they would get away with it. And they did. You know, I don't know their numbers, but I'm sure they're making plenty of money on that. A heck of a lot more than they invested in porting ROMs and emulators <laughs> that they already have the code to.
1: Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous.
0: Okay, so for this part of the episode, we are each going to talk about a game we've been playing. I have not played his game, he's not played my game, just by happenstance. And uh, we'll just kind of talk about and interview each other about what we liked or what we thought about one another's games. So, Fletcher has been playing Deathloop on PlayStation 5 and What do you have to say about it? What did you think of Deathloop?
1: So for those of you who don't know, Deathloop is a first-person shooter by the developers of Dishonored 1 and 2. And those are traditional stealth games, first-person stealth games. This veers away a bit from that and allows for less stealth. The game takes place kind of in this 1950s era uh, on an island secluded in the middle of nowhere and each day repeats itself and your goal is to stop the days from repeating itself so you can escape. So there's a lot to really appreciate and respect about this game. Uh, The world is super interesting. They have built up Really interesting characters that inhabit this world, and they have interesting interactions that you can read um, they like they have like an online chat messaging board <laughs> where they could communicate with each other and uh, you can read those logs and they're uh pretty much always funny and all of these characters are way larger than life kind of exaggerations, uh, and they're all super fun and interesting and different. So that's like for sure the best part of the game. It's this interesting world that you inhabit and you're tracking down these visionaries and you're just getting to know them better. And then also, meanwhile, you're figuring out, I guess what they would call environmental puzzles, where you are doing one thing in one part of the day that affects something else in the later part of the day and another part of the game. And it's necessary to make progress in the game um, otherwise, the day is just going to repeat itself infinitely. So one thing I really love about it is it does have a really good amount of versatility. So there are probably like six weapon types, and they're random drops, although there are some like uniques, some, some that you can find. And then with that, you get these slabs that are superpowers, and they are all super different and allow you to do combat in a different way. There's the teleport ability where you can teleport a short distance. There's the ability where you can link enemies together, so what you do to one affects the other one. Um, And there's an invisibility ability, and there's like three more, like a telekinesis ability. But you can only hold two at a time, so it it makes you pick and choose what you want your playstyle to be. So the game really has a pretty awesome design focus in and making it unique and different for the player, and I think that's probably what's best about the game. Is they built this really solid foundation, and they allow you to adapt it, and play in your own style, and play in your own way, and approach the game in your own way, and like the way you want to approach it. And that's definitely like what keeps me coming back to this game, like for sure.
0: So from day to day, you would did you try something else out, or did you kind of find your play style that you gravitate towards? Well,
1: for a long time, like, I didn't know you could track quests for some reason. But once I figured that out, you can just track quests and it just shows you where to go. And so for a long time, I would just kind of... Wander. Kind of wander. I mean, I could read the quest, like, I knew the quest existed and I would look for it and do it. But when you track it, it makes it infinitely easier to know where to go. So now I just kind of track quests just because I don't have an infinite amount of time in my life to play this game. But there are people who exist in the world who have played the game without tracking quests because they want to give themselves that challenge. And I actually think that would probably be maybe the best way to play the game, if I had to be honest. I think it would be the most rewarding way to play the game to explore the world. And it's definitely like the, the best part of the game, for sure, is exploring the world. But I'm just, I'm just limited by time. I can't stick around with this game for 60 hours. I just I kind of have to move on eventually.
0: Tell me about, what is the infuse system? Tell me about that. It's like an upgrade system. What is, it, what is infusing?
1: So infusing is their way of making it so that you can enhance your character without losing all of your progress um, when the day resets. Because when the day resets, you lose any items you picked up and, and everything. Because the day just completely resets like a standard roguelike. So infusing just allows you to keep weapons and to keep powers and to keep upgrades so that you have all that in your loadout, in your inventory next time and so over time you build up a massive inventory and uh it doesn't take long i mean it kind of does i don't know i feel like it's balanced pretty well to be honest and you know now it's kind of like i I, you know i'm incredibly powerful and i I, there's not much i can do to get more powerful frankly
0: so do you think it works well though like is it well designed is it i don't know Is it smooth
1: i think the system is good like the ability in general to infuse is good and obviously important to the entire game. I think the menu system is not good. I think it was designed for a PC and so I think that's not great. Um it's definitely clunky to use in a PS5. They did add like these filter options that definitely make the menu system of keeping or discarding things for Residium uh more smooth so that's that's appreciated but it's not like a perfect system and it definitely takes time away from the game and it's not really any time i want to spend i I don't want to spend any time doing it so it's always like kind of frustrating when i have to
0: that's fair it's always interesting when you have like a game that like the main focus of deathloop is exploring fighting ai finding items eavesdropping on the story like solving puzzles and then when you have something totally different, like inventory management, which I don't think I ever enjoy. Well, I mean, it's necessary in a way for them to accomplish like the structure they want. But I think how people would pitch it optimistically is like a break in the action. Like you're still playing, but you now you can just take a break and think about things and, and mess around with this inventory. So do you think, it would, would you see it in a good way in that, Or do you ultimately basically feel like it's a waste of time if there were a better way to do it?
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure they explored lots of different avenues and how to manage all of these item drops. If it were me, I would have given them the option to, like, discard it immediately. Like, do you want to keep this item? Do you want to discard this item and turn it in for Residium? So that, like, by the time I got to my menu, like, it's not one more thing I have to do. I did it, like, immediately when I picked it up. Yeah. Because I know instantly whether I'm going to want to keep something or not. So
0: then when you're looking at the inventory, you have to like reconsider every single item.
1: Yeah, kind of. And eventually it gets really easy to do because you're so powerful. It's not hard to like eliminate 95% of all of the trinkets or whatever to know that you're just going to discard everything anyway. But in the intermediate time, like for a minimum of 5 to 10 hours, it's definitely like a chore.
0: Okay, well, you mentioned to me the music the other day and the soundtrack so I actually I listened to it today I listened to the full soundtrack oh yeah okay cool what do you think it was great it's really good really yeah good it's really it's good.
1: really it's really really good uh yeah what i think is that if you don't if you don't turn down your sound effects and turn up your music volume ratio you're not really going to be able to hear it so definitely recommend doing that
0: and then do you do the opposite do you ever turn down the music and turn up the sound effects
1: no cuz there's no need to <laughs> i mean not never like it's not that i've never ever done that in a video game but it's a very rare situation when i've done that in a video game i have done that in final fantasy 7 remake actually uh because i did play for like i don't know 45 hours with like really loud music focused like focused on the music and not focused on the sound effects so i switched it up and did sound effects pretty much exclusively that's interesting
0: yeah i like to switch it up too Especially like when I play racing games, I'll do one and then the other. Like yeah, I think
1: games racing play. games are uh, maybe the exception to the rule.
0: Yeah, like playing Burnout Paradise would be awesome just to turn up, like turn literally turn like off the sound effects and just turn up the yeah. music. Yeah, for sure. But then sometimes it's nice to have like no music and have just like hear the car engine.
1: i say nothing's remotely come close to Burnout Paradise. Like it's a really good game. I mean, how long has it been? A decade longer? Twelve years, nothing's come close. Nothing's come close. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what people are like, oh, Forza Five, Forza whatever. No, everybody's wrong. Fair, nothing's come close. How
0: much time have you actually put into the Forza Horizon games? None.
1: It, but it's not like Burnout Paradise.
0: No, probably not. But Need for Speed, Most Wanted was very good. Really, but nothing
1: was designed in the way Burnout Paradise was designed. It's, it was completely unique design for the time, and I ha- really haven't seen it replicated since.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. Need for Speed Most Wanted did essentially stru- structure it the same way, and it was also a very fun game. Um, okay, should we move on to my game? Is there anything else you want to say about Death Loop? Are you glad you played it?
1: Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm very glad I played it. I'm very glad I played it. I enjoyed it a lot, and I also like being able to appreciate the fact that like I have my own opinion that I can form now that I've played it because I feel like it was hyped quite a lot. Yeah, and so I'm not quite, I'm not quite with everybody's hype. I think. Deathloop loop 2 which they will for sure make has like an insane number of ways that it can improve upon death loop yep. 1 and so i'm really excited to see those improvements and i'm sure they'll like fast forward to the 70s or wherever i don't I, I feel like it's the 50s i i don't really feel like maybe it's maybe it's the 70s
0: so you haven't you haven't beat the game right
1: no no i haven't be, i haven't beat right, the game, so you no.
0: said that you can really just finish it right now if you wanted to like within an hour or two
1: i'm super close i think i'm going to take probably another 10 hours though
0: what why what is going to motivate you to take another 10 hours when you can just finish the game now? the
1: best part of the game is exploring the environment and coming to understand it yourself
0: you haven't seen yet i
1: don't know if there are things i haven't seen but it's not that simple it's like things you haven't experienced like i still haven't done the delivery boxes of the game like i still need to do that i know what they do. But like, I still haven't done it. Like I still haven't gotten the code. Even though I should have by now, I just haven't. And there are other things that I just haven't done. And there are different ways in, to explore and to kill each visionary. And I just want to understand the world that they built. And it just takes time. I really want to appreciate all the love that they put into the game. Because like, that's the enjoyment that I'm having out of the game. And I think that's what most people enjoy about the game. is all of the energy that they, that they put into it. All the really, really small details. Like that's what I'm spend. That's what I want to spend my time doing. It's just exploring and understanding it. Otherwise, it's just kind of like, okay, I just go through the emotions and I just beat right. it. But just beating it is not actually satisfying. It's not really satisfying unless I understand what I'm doing, why I'm it's
0: doing it. Not even playing the game.
1: Yeah, it's like I might as well be a ro- I might as well be a robot. Like it doesn't even matter. Like I, I just want to. I really want to understand all of these levels and feel like in control. Yeah. Like I want to feel like I know what I'm doing and feel like Colt knows what he's yeah. doing. So that's why I'm going to put more time into it. Otherwise, it'll just kind of feel like a waste.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, that's that's really good argument.
1: And I feel that way about Final even remake and and uh, well, well, all the games I play, I feel that way about. Uh, you know, I think it's really important.
0: Okay. So I have been playing and actually just completed uh, yesterday, two days ago, Wavetail by Thunderful Games. It is a timed exclusive for stadia. It was announced and launched on that day, and it's awesome. I love it. uh, it's such a good game you You play in this um i you might call it like post apocalyptic world, but in the sense that it's fictional worlds, but also after some sort of calamity or apocalypse, and therefore you're living in like the post apocalypse you play as this girl who's like. I don't know, 16 or something. And she's kind of spunky, she's funny, she's raised by her grandmother. Her her mother uh, passed away when she was very young. She doesn't really remember her. But the world is flooded uh, and you kind of just live on these uh, on the tops of these towers or these these mountains that remain from the flooding. And ultimately what you do is it's a third person action platformer, open world platformer. And you you what happens in the story is you kind of meet this shadow character that is like your counterpart and allows you to stand on water. And what that actually means is you're like you run and surf on this ocean environment with these really great waves and you go up and down these waves and you can kinda of like slide and jump into the air and you can dive back down and it feels so good. The movement is just impeccable. It's just fun. It's just fun to, like, explore and travel around. It's kind of really one of my favorite genres of games. Is kind of this, it's like a minimalist, third-person platformer adventure game. It's not complicated. You fight these, like, black monsters. These little, like, black dog-ish blob monsters. And they have a really long tail, so you're not likely to get hit by them. And you attack them, like, three times with this really cool, like, net stick. That's your weapon. And, uh, and they die. And then, and then they spit out this resource you get. It's like an electrical resource. Like, it's not hard. But it's fun. Like, it's, it's just hard enough to feel like you're actually accomplishing something when you go to one of these towers and clear out all of the monsters. And you meet tons and tons of interesting characters. And they didn't even get a lot of time. They have, like, a small bio in your book. A lot of them are voice acted. Very good voice acting all have super interesting character designs, great artwork. It's almost like the story is like the world is almost more like hinted at than like ex, like exposition, like explicated. So you just kind of get to experience the world and like understand it just by exploring it and, and talking with these people very briefly. It's just I don't know, it's really fun. and like there's just all these clues around the world about like what's going on to see these flags everywhere and the flags are all different designs so i would starting to think oh like are these flags like different factions or trading groups or or like artisans and what does that mean and it's never they never say and they never say but it's fun to think about it's great i really really enjoy the game i probably put eight hours into it very much recommend it on stadia if you want to get it for if you want to subscribe to stadia pro for a month and then uh, claim it. It's free to claim, and then or just wait till for it to come to whatever else it's going to come to in the future.
1: I'm sure it'll come to switch. Yeah, I love when games do that, where the environment is like this living, breathing thing. Yeah. And I mean, all games, open worlds for sure, certainly try to do it, and some are more than successful than others. Um, as much as I did not like Horizon, and apparently I'm the only one in the world who didn't like Horizon. I feel like their world was really good at showing and not telling. Is it really large? large? I mean, it was eight hours. I played it for a little bit. Is it like a really, really large Mm, map?
0: I don't know. Medium? I mean, it's not small, but no, it's not huge. A lot of it is spent just, it's kind of had this spoke system, and you go to the end and you complete a quest there. You go back to the center and you essentially unlock another area, like another spoke, and they're pretty long, so a lot of it's just kind of like surfing and traveling down there and trying to find lines because there are slides you can take. So it's kind of like just either enjoying your way down there or like trying to do it efficiently, which also is fun. So there, it's pretty sparse, but that's part of like the feel of the world is that it's simple. Um, it's not congested. and uh, the, whole, the whole feeling of the game really is, is kind of open. Both in how it feels to play, because you have so much mobility with double jump, and you can use your your staff as like a hover, was like a helicopter, which is really fun, to like float or to glide. That goes for the environments, too. They're open.
1: Does it remind you of anything else?
0: Um, the ones that come to mind are Rime, which I really loved. I love that. You need to play that game.
1: I think I played it for a little bit, and I didn't get it, and I didn't put enough time into it. To yeah, understand. you should play
0: It's also really short.
1: Is it the one, like, the ro- like the rotating earth?
0: No. No. It's like, um, Eco. It's like Eco.
1: Oh, that rhymed. Oh, I played I played rhyme a lot. Did you like it? Is it the one with, like, the boar? The boars in the beginning?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're boars in the beginning.
1: Right. And you have to, like, you have to trick yeah, them. It's, like them. Like like it's a kind of environmental yeah, puzzle. Like, that's, like, the very beginning of the game. Yeah, those games, I don't like those games. I don't like those types of games. They're empty. They feel empty. They're not interesting to me. I don't want to explore them. It's more like run from point A to point B, so it just kind of feels like a waste of time. I have a, I don't know. I feel like I have a pretty critical opinion when it comes to, like, design philosophy and, like, what you're doing in a moment-to-moment. And, like, if I'm going from point A to point B and that's all I'm doing in a moment, then, like, that's not what I want to be doing with my time. Now, not saying exploring isn't good, Because It is. I mean, obviously, like Breath of the Wild is a master class of game design. Breath of the Wild is also like full, and Rhyme is not necessarily full because it's a small indie game. Rhyme
0: is a a puzzle platformer, it's a a puzzle game. Sure, I mean, it is. It's a puzzle game, yeah, in the form of a third person platformer,
1: but like, so is Obsidian. But Obsidian is a very small world, so that you're not spending any time really going from point A to point B. You're focused on the puzzle. I feel like Rhyme is a pretty large world, and you're doing a lot of traversing. Yeah,
0: you do a fair amount, but it doesn't take you that long. It's well-paced. It's not like you're spending, well, I don't know how long. It's been a couple of years since I played it. I'm
1: not, I'm not trying to be overly critical of Rhyme. Okay. I'm really not. I appreciate the game. I really, really do. I'm just saying, like, for me, like, it's not necessarily what I'm, the game I want to okay. play.
0: So anyway, it reminds me of Rhyme. It reminds me of Wind Waker. Um, for the art style character designs, obviously it takes place on the ocean, and then gameplay is Randy is Sly Cooper, actually, which is like one of my favorite games, like top three for me, probably he's definitely top five. It's similar to that, just I don't know it's a three d third person platformer, but it's like cartoony, but it feels really good to control, and the level design is good, even though it's totally different anyway, that's what it reminds me of, but it's definitely its own thing,
1: well. I'm excited to see what else it comes out on, and if they'll continue it or what they'll do, what they'll do next. Because Corey, they they made a pretty they cool thing. I
0: can't so. wait to see what they do next.
1: Um, I hope it gets more press also. Yeah,
0: well, that's Google's fault.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if it comes with the switch or something, I imagine it'll get a lot more. It'll get a lot more yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Well, sir, was that it for this episode?
1: Yeah, that's it for this episode. And next time, I think maybe we'll talk about 2020 uh, to Outlook. I think my next game is actually, I've thought about it, I think it's going to be Metroid Dread. Good choice.
0: I haven't played it myself. I, re- I,
1: really think that, I really think that needs to be my next game. Like after going through Deathloop and after going through Final Fantasy VII Remake and after going through God yeah, of War. Those were my last three yeah. games. They're all like, I don't know, action, adventure. They're all pretty stressful, yeah. frankly, all three of them. I'm sure Metro Dread won't be that stressful, but it's still a different type of game and I and also just I'm really excited for it. Metroid Prime's, the Metro Prime trilogy is in my top 5, I'm sure. Yeah. Like freaking, I you know, I know this is not the Metroid Prime game, but I I love the Metro's world worlds.
0: Okay. For me, I just started playing Snow Runner on my PS4 and I love it. It is so much fun and then I need to finish up El Hijo, I need to finish Stonefly, and then my next game will be um, Outer Wilds.
1: Yeah, I'm really very excited to play Outer Wilds. I've almost purchased it many, many times now. But I have other games to play, so I just have decided not to.
0: All right, so that was episode one of Press A. Thank you for listening. Do you have anything else to add, Fletcher?
1: Nope, we'll see you all next time real soon. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks. Bye.